Everybody, you are listening to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. I'm Johnny Morrison, and with us, as always, is your co-host Christian Serge. You have such a smooth voice, as always. You have, an, <laughs> you have your other podcast voice on right now. Where's Dr. Johnny Morrison that I know? That's not the people's theology. Why? Because it matters. <laughs> that's that's funny. I don't know. I they are both they're both me, and they come out as they choose. I don't know how to. I don't know how that That's works, good. man. Oh, I love it. Hey, everyone. Each week and now for the next 23 minutes, we're going to have a conversation about culture, current events, and politics, just the subject you love, from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. How you doing, Johnny? I, I'm pretty good. Um, I I threw in, this is a little bit of a view behind the curtain. We have an outline that we, we talk from, and I threw in some ideas in the outline that were not important enough to have a full conversation about, but that I thought were important just to mention uh, that I just want, I just want to talk about like for a second with you. Yeah. We can't talk about our cardigan sweaters uh, causing uh, more CO2 into the air. And we can't talk about that subject. Yeah, we can't. It's, it's, you know, it's not enough. It's not enough conversation there, (laughs) but it's enough for a little bit. Right. So one, one that I just wanted to name, because I think this is actually like kind of, this one blows my mind a little bit. It's a, it's shocking. Not surprising, I guess is the way to say it is that, um, Religionnews.com reported this week that 27% of evangelicals and 29% of Republicans still believe that the core tenets of QAnon are true. That blows my mind that like more than like more than a quarter of the white evangelicals that I know believe in QAnon. I cannot even believe it. I even read something that 37% of non-Christians, maybe those are the Mormons, Jews. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I have several Mormon friends who really believe in Quanon or however you say it. I, I really have a hard time saying it. But <laughs> it it's forever Quanon on the show. Uh-huh. I, it makes me not want to be part of makes me not want to be a white evangelical. Yeah, That's what right. it does. Almost not even a human at this point. Like <laughs> that, I don't, I like don't have anything. We've talked about Q and a lot. We've talked about like white evangelicals a lot, but it is just wild that even after Trump, cause like the whole, the, the core tenets of QAnon revolve around Trump battling a global cabal of like liberal child molesting. Pedophiles. Yeah. Like monsters. But they like it didn't happen. Like, right, Trump's gone, and yet you're still like still holding on to it. It's a wild thing. Twenty seven percent of evangelicals still believe that. I had a, a distant family member uh, text me and uh, ask me about how I would feel. Give me one of those kind of Ill, uh, illogical fallacies of, you know, do you believe that you can be not white and racist, and then threw in this, how would you feel if I said that, you know, everybody in California was a pedophile. And I'm just like, why would you say stuff like that? Is that what you believe? Are you a, are you a Quanon believer? Yeah. Like, really? Have you read the law about that? Like what, what's anyway, I don't know. Too wild. So that was one that I just felt like we just needed the name cause it's crazy. And here's another thing that I want to talk about with you for just like a second. Um, is uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League cut that will be released on HBO someday. I, you're in film and movies. 
Um, so you probably understand the process of which like a movie gets recut after it wasn't liked or something. But yeah, I've never yeah. I've never heard of a movie getting such this like weird myth around what will happen when Zack Snyder's cut comes out. Like today I read an article all about how like Jared Leto's Joker will be a hundred percent redeemed, which is almost as crazy to me as 27% of evangelicals believe in QAnon because Jared Leto's Joker was abominable. It was just like one of the worst things I've ever seen. Like, why is this a thing that we're having a conversation about? I say, get him out. I say, let Zack Snyder go to sleep and let's just bring in Christopher Nolan and let's make a real movie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just so weird. Like why I've never heard of a movie that has so much like this is going to save it and it's now going to be the best. It was the worst movie ever and this guy's going to rework it and it's going to be the best movie ever. I think it's because you have these fans of Marvel and DC and a lot of fans have left Marvel because they make these, you know, funny movies with Chris Pratt and they're mm-hmm. not as dark and realistic. And then you have this darker following and they're like, come on, DC, come on. And then, you know, like this has been the year of, or the last year was the year of conspiracy theories. And so like, this is just, if you can't believe in Quanon or or prophets, there's yeah that you believe in DC and Zack Snyder, he becomes this the savior of DC. <laughs> it's That's like, what it is. It's like QAnon, but all around the Justice League. It's that Zack Snyder is battling a global cabal of terrible movie makers and will release a Justice League to save us all. Well, speaking of uh, prophets and conspiracy theories, there's even an article that I read about. This, there's been like this uprising of prophets who are, huh. uh, you know, profiting and, rev- and revelatorying or whatever the word is. You probably know the better word than I do. I, I, I can't really say like making revelations. And then mm-hmm. when they're not true, what do they do? And, you know, like Jeremiah Johnson, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. He made mm-hmm. a, a, a prophecy that Donald Trump would win the election and like made it a prophecy and gathered this huge following. And then he apologizes. I can't support him anymore. So he got death threats and... And there's actually a lot of the so-called prophets who have been prophets are like, hey guys, hey all you new prophets out there, ease it back, man. Like, ease it back. You're hurting my business. <laughs> there can't be too many of us out there. <laughs> yeah. Can't be too many prophesying or you're you're gonna illegitimize our businesses. So. See, if you're gonna be a prophet, then it's important that you stick to truisms. You can't get that specific. You gotta stick to general true like general statements that could be interpreted in lots of weird ways that are possibly true and can never be proven wrong i think if you're gonna be a prophet that's the way you gotta go you can't get so specific that trump's gonna win this election you just have to say like a savior from the right is gonna win elections and then it's like well i didn't say this one you know you gotta be more generic than that if you're gonna do predictive prophecy is that's my word of advice to uh all the prophets out there I dig some prophets, but I was once uh, playing this big, like, uh, I don't know what they call it. Uh, it was the evangelical where they, you know, they, they walk around and they demons out and they tap mm-hmm. you on the head and you fall down and it's very charismatic. That's the word charismatic. Mm-hmm. And we got done playing this, I don't know, 35 minutes, just, just rock and roll set and people are falling and laughing and coughing and dancing and like 
freaking out. And I, I, it was the first time I'd played something like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, what I get myself into? So the pastor, she gets up and she's like, and the Mr. Keyboard Player, Christian, get down here, get down here. And people are cheering and yelling. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to go down there. I don't, I don't want to go down. <laughs> so I walk down and the prophet's coming down. And he's like, there's something about you, Christian. You're singing, you play, and you play that organ. And there's something in music, but you got something dark in you, don't you? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's going to, he's going to. He's going to tap me on the forehead. He's going to say, demons out. I kind of wanted to be here, but wait, now I don't want to be here. And he does. He comes up and he goes, demons out. He hits me in the head. And I'm like, not going down. I'm not, not going, going down. down. <laughs> and there's a guy, he's trying to pull me down. I'm like, not going down. <laughs> not going down. So the prophet, he just moved on. He just, he moved, just moved on. on. Yeah, I think, I can't remember if I told you this story, but I, I grew up in a, in a tradition that's very similar to that. And when okay. I was like in high school, we were at a church camp, which is like just maybe one of the worst places for that kind of experience. I had beautiful experiences, but you get these like intense charismatic worship service. And the, the pastor was doing the same thing. People were falling over, prayed over me. I would not go down. So then I like kind of <laughs> see what's happening. I would not go down. I would not, I go, would down. not I, go down. I, I didn't feel it. I wasn't feeling it. Uh, I don't feel like I was fighting. I just wasn't feeling it. I'm an impressionable yeah. youth at this moment. But yes. then I see, like, while I'm, like, singing, I see him take a few steps back, step up onto the <gasps> stage, and ready himself. And then this, oh, no. like, 45-year-old dude leaps off the freaking stage, like, full dived off the stage, slammed right into me, and then laid <sighs> me out on the ground. And that was the way the spirit had, like, quote-unquote, like, laid me out. And I was like, yeah, of course. I just got, I just got tackled by, like, a wide <laughs> receiver. Of course I'm on the ground. He le legitimately said, you're going down. He heard your mind, Seth. He, re he, was like, <laughs> he read it. He's like, oh, you're going down. He was a prophet. Just not, it just didn't manifest the way that I was used to. Did he have a number on his jersey? Was he, was he playing for Kansas City or? You know, this was, let's see, this was a, uh, <laughs> what year was this? It was like early 2000s, late 90s. So I think he was wearing um, like a button up shirt with a t-shirt over it because that was the cool look for youth pastors at the time. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> From from the the lie of demons out, and I'm sure it's probably not a lie at sometimes, but boy, it was really tough for me. To the majority, a, a majority of people who believe in conspiracy theories, this is really sad for me because I think the conspiracy is hurtful, and I I love mm -hmm. conspiracy theories, but I don't let it rule my life, and it doesn't become part of my. Uh, my personality or my identity. I just think that conspiracy, the whole word of conspiracy is false. Like it mm. means like false and it, it sows mistrust and it encourages fear in people and it propagates conflict. It's like this, it makes people angry and forceful. It makes people burn buildings. It makes people insurrection on the Capitol. It's, it's really bad. Conspiracy is false. Mm -hmm. End of story, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're powerful because, I think we talked about this before, but they're powerful because they offer people a worldview to explain difficult to explain things, right? They're, they're yeah. simple explanation for complicated events. However, that's maybe not even a good definition because then they become very complicated because QAnon is actually a very complicated, layered series of events. Even to believe something like the moon landing was faked, is actually a very complicated proposition. It's easier for the moon landing to have been real than it is for them to have faked it. You know what I mean? Like, no, I, I agree. I agree. And I've, I've read through that 
uh, scenario several times, and I would love to think that behind the moon landing picture is some kind of city that they blacked out, you know, and they were living <laughs> on the moon. That's an awesome conspiracy theory to think of, right? That's Those are fun things. Like, maybe if I go to the moon one day, I can go to that that city that they're covering up, you know, and, and that one movie that Brad Pitt was in that I can't remember the name where he goes and tries to find his father on Mars, you know, or Neptune or something. Maybe that's real. You know, I... I, I <laughs> Conspiracy theories aren't our only problems. Uh, Insurrection on the Capitol aren't our only problems. We have problems in our young adolescents, our young teenagers. The article I want to talk about today is out of Unheard, and it talks about have we turned teens into lockdown lab rats? And I thought this was interesting because this group of scientists, they carried out a an experiment of adolescents to see how they would respond uh, to being denied contact with others of the same age. And the results were pretty stark. Mm. Um, these adolescents who were starved of interaction with their own generation, they uh, grew up to be more angry, more fearful. They drank more alcohol. They found it harder to interact with others. Now, these scientists, when I say adolescents, they weren't humans, they were rats. But I think the question uh, in my mind is, they found this in animals and we they are our distant cousins. They're warning us that the damage of the last 12 months could be very, very significant in our teenagers. I have a teenager and he's having to learn his social interactions through the screen, not through hanging out with people. And then when he does, it is this fearful stance. Don't get close to them, wear a mask. And so he's missing out on those very formative uh, years of body language and looks and communication and social interaction. So the question I have is, are we turning our teenagers into the next generation of assholes hmm. or brainiacs? Right? Are they going to now change the world? Are they just going to be socially inept, dangerous, angry boozers hmm. that just don't care? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, generational studies are always rooted in like major events that occurred that defined your generation. So they say for millennials, the prime, the first major event that defines millennials is 9 11 because it's like such a formative event while we're, you know, growing up. Mm. And, and so they've, and they've started to use similar language for kids who are growing up in COVID or even born and having formative moments in COVID. Um, and, and I, so I think like you, it's undeniable that COVID and the pandemic will have impacts on young people in ways that are hard to predict. I, the, the article that you shared, I thought was really interesting. Like, cause he, the, the writer kind of goes back and forth, like debating where the negative effects could show up and where maybe young people are more protected, kind of like to your brainiac side, like where maybe mm. they're better positioned than older people to endure this moment. Like that young people were already more at home and what the author refers to as like a mixed dimensional world where you're like already online, you're already really connected online um, and we saw some of the other things they, they mentioned is that today's young people are less likely to drink, take drugs, even have sex than earlier generations. Like I think millennials were less than uh, boomers and uh, Gen Z is even less than millennials or boomers. Like they're, they're like having those things less and less. So does that, does that mean that they are protected and insulated in some ways from this moment in a way that older generations are actually not that it hits some of us older people more than it hits like younger people or yeah, to your point, like, is it setting up young people for a, a really difficult um, learning curve, social learning curve? Uh, it, it's a fascinating question. My teenager, he, 
That is a fascinating question. My teenager, he has a couple of questions that he's asked several times to me, and I think it's really interesting. He said, hey, Dad, do I have to drink coffee? I'm like, well, no, you, you don't have to drink coffee. You don't huh. do anything you want. He goes, well, I just I get enough sleep and I've got enough energy, and every time I taste it, it kind of tastes like dirt, and, and then I don't need any energy. And I was like, oh, well, then just like, don't drink coffee. It's okay. That's fine. Yeah, and then, great. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then like, he asked me, he said, Dad, do I have to drink alcohol when I'm 21? I'm like, no, you don't have to drink alcohol ever if you don't want to. And so, you know, I've, I've let him taste it a couple, we've let him taste it a couple of times. And each time he's like, yeah, I, I want to taste that. I'm like, do you want to taste this Avgaro? It's like this uh, orange liqueur thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Then he's like, oh, ah, ah, <laughs> makes all these faces. And he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you drink that stuff. So, oh, you know, to your point, yeah, I think he's, uh, he's developing biases though, mm. based on screen time, which is, is we've all found out, we all know that we are the product. So mm -hmm. it's the money-making ventures that really don't care about human growth are teaching our children, our teenagers, how to interact with the world through them wanting to own Yeah, that's a good people point. as a product. And I think that is where the danger lies. I don't know if we know huh. what the product is going to be of that dangerous product. That's a good point. Like, because I, 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 it's funny that you tell that story about your boy. Like, I think about when I was his age and younger, like, I would, sorry, mom, like, sneak alcohol as much as I could. You know, like, it was, there's something about it that felt so, like, elusive yeah. and secretive. And so, you know, you're like, try, like, you're sneaking yeah. it and you're like, you're sneaking cigarettes and you're like trying to, I was like, you're not trying to get in trouble, but those things felt so alluring to me. Sure. Um, and so you're like trying to do those kinds of things. Uh, and it feels like what you're saying with like your son, and I've, I've heard this with a lot of other young people, it's like that's the allure has been removed from those things. Uh -huh. Life has been placed somewhere else. Because like I'm a millennial, so my I'm like a product of the internet, but not in the same way that like uh -huh. your son is or, gener or like even five, 10 years after me have become. Like my majority of my life was still lived socially with friends. My most exciting moment yeah. was getting my driver's license. So I could go hang out with my friends. Um, yeah. And my son, he doesn't, he has a driver's license, but he'll ride his bike to school because he's like, well, well where, where do I got to go? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Like I wanted my car so bad because he's 18. I would load it with humans. Like I would get like <laughs> 10 people in my Ford Taurus. I'd put like two people in the trunk and we'd like, we have no why we don't have a reason to either to be honest with you but we just wanted to be together and like go to a coffee shop or something yeah. so then like there's a lot of trouble that i got into because of those things but then what you're naming i think is actually really powerful is that social media the exactly what you've named like the kind of content that we consume on the internet forms us into a kind of people and yeah. this is all commodified consumption so it's it's commodifying us in, in a new way. Not that we weren't being commodified before, just in a new way, in a maybe a more like poignant way. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I'm sure of is that commodification can't happen to real social interaction. They can't code that and mm. sell it. You know, they can't sell the fact that my son at the end of the days, when he finally got to hang out with some people, he's like, dad, that felt so good. I really missed people. Yeah. So I hope we get back to that. Yeah, me too. Even young people who are really good at living in that multidimensional space, as the article names, like are longing for 
being back with people. Like yeah. I talk to parents and their kids are like wanting to go back to school, which is never a sensation that I had, but that's for me, school was never at risk either. You know, and yeah. so like I see kids who are way more willing to wear masks than even their parents are just to get them back into school because they just oh, yeah. want to be back around people again. Oh yeah, Walker, Walker, he now limits his movements because he's got a very important thing he wants to do at the theater and he doesn't want to get COVID. He doesn't want to have a, a connection with COVID and then be quarantined for two weeks. So um, yeah, he's really trying, he's really wanting to be safe and minimize the risk. So um, I know that there are, uh, a group, there's a group of people in another country right now that really uh, feel that they're at risk as well. I know we're going to talk about that as well. Yeah, good, great segue. Um, so w- the thing I wanted to talk about is we don't talk about foreign policy that much on the show, um, but I wanted to bring up the coup in Myanmar. Um, the coup occurred, if you're listening to the show, it occurred days ago on February 1st, um, where Myanmar's military overthrew, which is maybe a dramatic term, but they overthrew their sort of democratically elected um, citizen-run government under Aung San Suu Kyi, who was like the Nobel Prize laureate or winner, um, but she'd come under some controversy because of the way the Rohingya had been treated. She is a democratically elected official, a hero of the nation, but I say it was kind of an overthrow just because her power was pretty limited because the military still controlled a vast majority of seats based upon the constitution, the military controlled many arms of the government and even many companies that government contracted with. So the military is still like was always largely in control, but has in this year taken back over control. Uh, and Myanmar had only been a semi, you know, democratic state for like five, six years. And so, like, that's what's happening. So that's the thing that we should all be paying attention to um, in light, like, one, because there was a large genocide of the Rohingya people, a Muslim community in Myanmar. So it's something we should be paying attention to, but it made me want to ask this question, which um, I think we as Americans really have to wrestle with anytime something bad happens somewhere else, which is, like, what do we think America's response should be to moments of crisis like this where a democracy that we believe in is threatened, right? Because our sometimes the strategy that we have chosen is like armed involvement or we go to sanctions really fast. But like, are, do we think those are effective? What do we think is the right response for these kinds of moments? Isn't there something in that one document that we all subscribe to and hold above our heads and hold people's feet to the fire to on right and left that's called the Constitution that tells us that we need to do whatever we can to stop the spread of communism or dictatorship or preserve docu- uh, democracy? Um, I don't think that the Constitution says anything about communism. It was a few years before. Um, but I don't know. I That's a good question. I actually don't know if that's true. Maybe it's my old Republican roots, but for some reason I feel like that the, it's like the, in the Constitution or the, the Declaration of Independence is like the, the spread of tyranny. Uh, right? Oh, isn't okay. that in yes. there? Yes, that that is in there. Like we should do anything we can to stop the spread of tyranny, and a military takeover of any democracy is a tyranny by any definition, is it not? Yeah, it's definitely tyranny. Okay, like we've been talking the last four years about a tyrannical leader, and would the mili- would he use military force, and would he call, uh, you know, martial law and all that stuff? And there was a lot of fear in the air. 
this is like it actually happened in Myanmar. 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 And I don't know. This is a big question. Yeah. I don't I don't know what to do. Like I sometimes look at those events and go, oh, they're so far away, they don't happen. But I've been to some horrible, uh, horribly run countries with terrorists hundreds, a couple hundred miles away or very close or been in a building at, uh, during the night where there was a terrorist threat, uh, a threat on that building that we were in. And uh, we pretty much lied awake in fear for our lives the entire, entire night. Um, I, I've been in those situations and they suck, dude. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it's to be, what it's like to live in a box or tent camp because I never have. I've seen them. I've seen fathers bury their children wrapped in a t-shirt mm-hmm. in a shallow grave. But I, so if it's so easy for us to lose sight of the fr- past the front of our noses that when we look at this stuff, it's easy to make a judgment. Mm-hmm. What do you think we should do? Well, I, I think what you just said is really true, like and really powerful that the experience of these things is so far removed from us that it's easy to make a judgment without actually understanding what the lived reality is like. Um, so I, I totally agree with that. Um, I would say like, I don't know what the answer is, but I am very skeptical. Um, skeptical is not a strong enough word. I'm against like military intervention. I don't Mm -hmm. know that military intervention in American history has a long track record of helping, uh, you know, whether we look at Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam, uh, th- th- we don't have a great history of intervening militaristically and 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 reestablishing democracy or establishing democracy. So I'd be uh, hesitant about that. Um, yeah. But I, then, the, so then the question is, what do you do? So one of the things that has been talked about is like using sanctions really strategically because the other problem is that, you know, for decades we've been sanctioning Cuba it hasn't removed the Castros, which is what we hoped the sanctions would do. Instead, it's further tightened the grip the Castros have on Cuba and the people of Cuba have suffered, which is why the Obama administration loosened some of the sanctions and Republicans kind of lost their mind about it. So one of the suggestions is instead of sanctioning all of Myanmar so that the people suffer, one of you sanction just the like military leaders who have seized control. So if you just um, sanction like the dictator general specifically, so his money's trapped and tied up and he loses incentive and people lose incentive to follow him. That seems like a, a kind of solution, uh, but I don't know that it's enough. When Obama loosened the sanctions on Cuba, part of me was like, Oh no. Cause I was still back in my Republican roots, but a lot of me was like, yeah, I can go to Cuba now. Yeah, no doubt. And smoke a cigar and see some of the rad like American cars that have been souped up down the street and hear some of the great music and and experience the culture. Oh, so I got I got when you said loosen the sanctions and going to Cuba, I was like, oh yeah, I remember I was in conflict, mm-hmm. but ultimately I was like, yeah, I didn't realize that the sanctions made the people suffer, and I think that's something that I think everyone should do some research on. Like, is that really true? I mean, I believe you, but some people might not. Sure. Yeah. Well, you can here's the thing. Sanctions are not, um, sanctions can be a broad tool or a very specific tool. So you can sanction like the economics of an entire nation. Mm -hmm. Um, like the Gaza strip, for example, is the whole thing is sanctioned. So it's very hard actually to get even medical supplies into the Gaza strip. So you can do it that way. Um, Mm. Or you can sanction very specific people so that 
they can't bank in other countries. They can't buy and sell in other countries. So that making money all of a sudden becomes very difficult unless you're going to use back channel means, right? And which is what then up is happening. So like North Korea and all of North Korea's leaders are sanctioned. So then what does North Korea do? All black market stuff. Yeah, the, the black market always cons- uh, persists when there's sanctions. I don't know if I believe in sanctions too much, but, uh, you know, to me, they, fa- they feel like tariffs, you know, when they're like, we're going to yeah. put more tariffs on China. And I'm like, oh, no, after the research, I was like, no, actually, what's going to happen is we're not going to have the products we want and we're going to pay the taxes because the companies are going to just increase their, they're going to pass the, ta- the tariffs on to us. And I work for a company that for uh, the first three years, we ate all the tariffs and they were heavy because we were in the electronic mm. business. And the final last year, they said, you know what? We can't do it. We got to have a, our yeah. first price increase in 20 years or something. It was, uh, it was too bad. But, you know, yeah. the, C- the CEO said, hey, make no mistake, these sanctions, it's not going to be paid by companies. It's not going to be paid by China. It's going to be paid by the U.S. It's going to be paid by you and me. And that's who's mm-hmm. going to pay it. And we did. So what's Biden going to do about Myanmar? Yeah, well, that's, I haven't seen anything super conclusive. They've made a statement um, about standing with like the Democratic people. There will probably be some unilateral action with our allies um, about, and then I, my guess is that they will um, institute some more formal sanctions against the leadership of Myanmar uh, and potentially Myanmar itself. Huh. Um but I, one of the things that you just said made me think of, there's a, a Slovenian philosopher, not French, Slovenian, yes, um, that I really like, named Slavoj Žižek, who's still alive. Um, Can't say that. Uh, no, it's very tricky. It took me a lot of practice to get Slavoj Žižek right. Uh, and what, Slavoj has this interesting idea about how um, if, you, if people are oppressed and things get worse, they're actually not likely to... Like if they've always been bad and they get worse, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll revolt. That for Slavoj, what happens is when things get a little better, that actually leads more likely to revolt because it's like people have had a chance to taste that there is something better beyond the kind of oppression that a government will do. Like evangelicals finally tasting the fact that they can show up against the law and say it's sure. for the name of Jesus to a hospital. And the hospital's like, you're not, you're not helping. And they're like, we're staying here because it's all right. And then they get emboldened and they revolt. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, there's, that's probably true, like both good and bad. Or like even Trump gets elected after Obama and you have the largest march, you know, in American history, the Women's March. I think like in some level it's like, Hmm. we had normalized something things go worse after that and you're like oh no 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 we've known it to be a little better than this and so that makes me think of the of the sanctions like it's probably counterintuitive but i would think that it would actually be better to try to find ways to empower support regular people in a country while at the same time trying to be very specific about sanctioning leadership because if if the the people at the very bottom can know that life can be better and that they have support to make it better. And I think in nonviolent and non-coercive ways, but they can make it better. Then I think that will actually raise the pressure mm. on leadership up above, but you have to have the community involved. Like the only thing that stops dictatorial leaders is a plurality of voices. So the more mm. voices that are engaged speaking against it, the, the more it loses power because all power, all authority is just legitimized by p- 
people around you. So if the military yeah. legitimizes your authority, then you're in authority. But if, you know, like when the Proud Boys started leaving Trump, he lost authority. And he's, he's, he has lost some since not being president and since being considered weak by these like super alt-right groups. So it's yeah. kind of the same scenario. Well, maybe we should all get everybody some Instapots and then the pressure will be on. Let's see what That's I right. Send it, everybody gets an Instapot. Pressure's on. Last words. What should America do? What should our teens do? And do we care about Zack Snyder? Uh, all right. Uh, in reverse order, don't care about Zack Snyder's Justice League. No. I uh, think it's going to be a big disappointment. Yes. What should we do about our teens? Probably support them in getting as much social interaction as they possibly can. I think so. Uh, and then what do we do about people around the world? I Similar, actually, to what we do with our teens. Like, how do we, in a non-coercive, non-violent way, find out how to support people on the ground who are living in the midst of oppressive environments? How do we actually empower those people? Those are good words, Johnny. Well, that ends our episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Hey, would you leave us a review? Or actually, you know what? If you'll share this with a friend, maybe we'll even have you on the show. Whoa. Share with a friend. You and a friend will call in on the show. I'm just doing this right off the cuff. And we'll talk about <laughs> yeah, a subject. Yeah, we'll talk about a subject and we'll have some good good fun. So invite a friend to the show. Let us know. And then uh, one day we'll choose someone to come on the show and do a phone call and we'll just have a good time. So as always, thanks for listening, everyone. Please, again, let us hear from you and keep having the conversations yourself. Love this divided culture and love each other. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. If I'm staying what you want, I can't give it to you. If I'm staying, it's probably my mind. What you want, I can't give it to you. If I'm staying, if I'm staying. You have been listening to a Smart Guy and a Dumb Guy production. A podcast exploring culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. See you next time.